0: This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant.
1: Time to play on the show. Show, show, show.
0: There is one bright side to what happened the first half hour of our show. If, if you're just joining us, well, there was? you're fortunate you're fortunate. Yes, there is there there is one bright side. Uh first we do want to thank the people that have stuck with us. Yes. Uh there was a technical snafu the first half hour. We do have evidence that people listen to the show. There's probably 200 texts that came through at that point that I can ex- in, in introduce as Exhibit A that we have at least 200 listeners because they all complained this morning when Mike Greenberg was horning in on our broadcast this morning.
1: You know, if Peter in office space lost his mind after three reminders to bring the TPS reports, you can only imagine how we felt as we were trying to have a conversation about the Mariners' victory over the Rockies as we're reading text, hey, do do you know Mike Greenberg's on the air? Hey, Mike Greenberg's on the air. Guys, Mike Greenberg. It's it's Greenberg. It's not you.
0: See? We got to look on the bright side. <laughs> yeah. Each one of those represented somebody who was listening. They That's care. correct. It's Danny <laughs> and Gallant, and we're going to now introduce someone who is not Mike Greenberg. It's Michael Thank Bumpus. He joins, he joins us for Blue 42.
2: Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight,
0: close,
1: sprint, left, GU, corner, halfback, flat, onto, ready, break.
2: Now here's your
1: host. Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant.
0: Boo
2: 42! Boo 42! Good morning, Bump. How are you now? Good morning, fellas. Doing well. You know what? I was one of those people listening, and I felt like my buddies were in a fight, and I just couldn't help them. I'm like, man, my buddies, <laughs> man, they're in it. I gotta help. What can I do? I, I just couldn't help. So, you guys, thanks for being professionals and pushing through that. What are you supposed to do in that situation if you
1: know your buddy is getting rocked and you can't actually do anything about it? Do you do you call the five zero like? No, yeah, man. You <laughs> tell
0: him. You tell him to dig in and throw haymakers. <laughs> Come on, get
1: up. <laughs> you know what my we mom told me. We have a show me, grudge with Mike Greenberg now. Yes. Well, I already had a grudge. <laughs> we'll blame I, him. I just don't understand the appeal. But, yeah,
2: now it's now it's at its worst. My mom told me if you're getting whooped, pick up anything, a brick, a stick, <laughs> anything. There's, there's no, no fine fair <laughs> when you're getting beat up. <laughs>
1: That's a good one from Mama Bumpus. Question one for you, Michael Bumpus. With Rams running back Cam Akers going down with a torn Achilles, which is really unfortunate for him. Who should they be looking to replace him? And does this change expectations for the Rams?
2: Naturally, you think it changes expectations, right? Cam Akers, you're like, man, the kid had 625 yards, two touchdowns. In the playoffs, he turned it up a bit, over 200 yards, a couple more touchdowns. But they still have Michael Brown, who had 400 yards. They still have Daryl Henderson, who I like. I like his running style, at 624 yards and five touchdowns. So it changes a little bit. Now, who should they be looking at? There's some old heads out there, Paul. There's some old heads. You got Adrian Peterson, Le'Veon Bell, Frank Gore, Lashawn McCoy, or you bring back the guy who started this run in Todd Gurley, who's only 26 years old, had 678 yards and nine touchdowns last year with the Falcons. I think you got to be looking at Todd Gurley. You're not going to ask him to, to be in every down back now. He has some help. You also have Malcolm Brown, who's your your you're a straightforward red zone running back type dude. You have Daryl Henderson, who's your shifty guy. You have Todd Gurley, who can do a little bit of both when healthy, and you can limit his carries if you're not gonna go after the OG Frank Gore, because that's my guy, 38 years old, still in the league. I say you have a family reunion and you bring Todd Gurley back and just see what he can do.
1: That would be something,
2: but I feel like we know what Todd Gurley is at this point, right?
1: And, and I also gotta say this: no team gets more benefit of the doubt of late than the Rams do because of Sean McVay. They lost an entire coaching staff. People are assuming the defense is going to be good this coming season. They bring in Matt Stafford, who's never done anything of value. People assume that he's going to have this awesome season. And I saw a bunch of people yesterday saying, oh, well, this isn't going to re- affect the Rams in any way, shape, or form. And they go back to this end of the 2017-18 season because against two teams that literally quit on the year, the Rams ran for a bunch of yards with with uh, Thick J. Henderson, uh, Anderson. I mean, and then they ran well against the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs. There's this assumption like the Rams can do no wrong. And it's as if they forgot what happened in the NFC Championship game and in the Super Bowl where they ran for less than 150 yards combined. I, I don't get it. I don't get it, Bump. I don't know if you if, if you have a read on this, but the Rams really have a lot of people that seem to be believing that even though what we've seen over the last couple of years has been relatively disappointing since the Super Bowl, that, yeah, they're fine no matter what they do.
2: It's because they've been winning. I mean, they, yeah. they, they win. and Kind of. McVeigh has an offense that is extremely attractive to the – the average viewer they see all this shifting and moving and crossing the field and it just looks like a whole bunch of fun and you combine that with one of the best defenses in the league you should have a chance if you have an offense that's decent one at one of your sides of the ball has has to be elite for you to win right either the offense or the defense last year it was the defense for the Rams so you have an elite defense all you need is about an average offense and then you add Stafford into the mix it's all about the names you got Stafford out there. You still got Cooper Cup. You have two running backs in the backfield who can get it done. You still got Robert Woods. Then I mean, you bring you bring over Deshaun Jackson. That's what the preseason is about: is building this hype. So you look at this defense. You look at the names on offense. I think that gives people reason to believe. And you throw in the fact that they have owned the Seahawks. If you are going to win this division, you have to beat the Seahawks. You have to beat the Niners. You got to own one of them, and they have owned the Seahawks. So I, I get why you would be skeptical, like, man, why is everybody on the Rams bandwagon? But the truth of the matter is, they've been a factor the last, what, three or four years in the division and the playoffs. Paul doesn't like the Rams, and I don't say that. You're you're entitled. It's a good grudge to have.
0: But, I mean, McVay, what? They've been to the playoffs three of the four years he's been there? Like, they're not bad.
1: And I'm not saying they're bad. I just feel like they get this weird benefit of the doubt as if they are better than what they actually are. They have beaten the Seahawks a lot. Is that really the only separation between these two teams over the last couple of seasons? Is that Sean McVay is six and three against Pete Carroll? Because otherwise, like I don't, I just don't get why people seem to be going out of their way to make it as if they're fine when things like this happen. It's a perpetually mediocre franchise.
0: Like mediocre might even be doing because what they didn't have a winning record for like a decade and they made the playoffs three of the four years
1: he's been there. Like he's he's been a good coach. He has, but they just lost their best running back for the year. They're fine.
2: There, there are ways to hide that. Now, Cam Akers, I believe, was going to rush for 800, 900 yards this year. He looked good. But there are ways to to still be effective in the run game just by committing. I think that's what you have to do. Let me correct myself. Malcolm Brown is gone. The Texans have been lining me up. He's with the Dolphins. That's on me. But there are ways to hide this. There are ways to still be effective in the run. You don't have to be a dominant running team to be effective in the run. All you have to do is pose the threat. by, like, look, man, we can average three to four yards a carry. You're going to have to load this box up when we get in certain formations. But now that puts pressure on the guys on the outside. When you bring in Matthew Stafford, you would assume that with the weapons that he has, he's going to be a bit more successful than he was in Detroit. Because ever since Calvin Johnson left, it just ain't been the same. And Stafford ha- has been successful in Detroit when it comes to throwing the football. Now he actually has a defense. He's got some weapons. He has a, has a decent tight end. Sprinkling a couple runs here and there. We shall see. You gotta stay healthy. You gotta win the ball games. But I think people, I think the the idea that the Rams can be a top team in the in the division is legit. Question two.
0: Alright, Bump. We've heard scouting reports on Dwayne Eskridge, who's all of the conversations about what kind of player he could be you got a chance to meet him what kind of
2: person is he man so i actually spent almost like 2 days with the dude like, now it's not like we were like having coffee and holding hands and getting on the friends bus tour what, right like. yeah we went on a tour with, with the 12s then he came to my event Whiteout university on on sunday oh, and heck spoke yeah. spoke to about 50 wide receivers just to show some love oh that's awesome and when it comes to like personality now you got to go on the field and you got to play Right? But when it comes to personality, like this is a kid who's hungry, he's humble, he made himself available. You know, a lot of rookies can come and they can be su- super shy and, and or they come in with an ego. You never know what you're going to get with these rookies. But Eskridge, man, from Gaswork Park to... Uh, East Lake, Sammamish Fields, and in, um, in, uh, in Sammamish, man, he was just personable. And I love the, the energy that he brought. I love the message he brought to the kids. He's automatically a guy that you want to root for. If you talk to him for two minutes, it's a guy that you want to root for. Then you put on the film and you're like, all right, man, a deep ball threat. He's strong. He's thick, man. He's like my size, but he looked like he weighed 100- 225 pounds. I doubt he weighs that much, but the dude is thick and strong. Overall, good dude automatically made me want to root for him. What about his game
1: fascinates you most for me? And I know that it goes back to high school, and you can't always translate what someone did in high school all the way to the NFL, but I just think it's so interesting that this is a guy who you mentioned his frame is a former running back. He was an honorable mention all-state as a running back in Indiana before he went... Um, To college, And then he transfers over to wide receiver. And I'm really curious as to what that element of his game coming out of Western
2: Michigan that Shane Waldron can tap into. You mentioned running back. He played DB for a bit, and he played receiver. So he's a versatile. He's a football player. He's not just a receiver. When I played, I was a receiver. I ain't tackling nobody. I'm not running the rock in between the tackles. The more you can do for the football team, the better, especially if you're a rookie trying to make this team especially if you're trying if you're trying to get acclimated to this receiving core where you already have some established guys right there where you're not going to get a whole bunch of targets you got to bring value to this team and to this roster how do you do that you get on special teams and on special teams there's only a couple guys who are going to catch the football and run with it. you got to be able to tackle so because he's big he's strong he's physical and he's played a bunch of different positions man he brings a lot to the table so if we're not going to see this guy catch 50 footballs next year which I don't think is going to happen We got to see him on special teams and contribute that way. And because he's played all over the football field, he's just a ball player and he's ready to go. Question
1: number three. All right, Bob. We've been trying to figure out what the Seahawks might do with a couple of different players as we get closer to training camp. Yesterday we talked about Marquise Blair, who we know you like. Daryl Taylor. It seems like right now he is the Seahawks' strong side linebacker. Is that definitively where he is going to play, or is there maybe another spot that they will potentially slide him into?
2: From everything I've seen and I heard, I think that's it for the dude. Now, there are there are established guys on this defense. You got Bobby. You got your safeties. We'll see where the spoon does. Um, I would say Puna is established at this point. He's going to get his turn to go. But there has to be a couple of dudes who surprise people, who do things that you're not expecting for them to do, and Darrell Taylor has to be one of them. Especially if you're trying to fill a void. KJ's not here. They're going to ask Jordan Brooks to play a bit more. But Darryl Taylor is a guy that you drafted high. You didn't see a lot of him. And he has to produce. There's a little bit of pressure on the dude to produce. If he produces, I think this defense, I'm not going to say they're going to be world beaters. They're going to be great. But they can be better than they were last year. I think that's a spot for the guy. I saw him at the mini camp. He looks lean. He looks strong. And he looks comfortable in the position. He doesn't look lost. Sometimes you see guys on the football field, and they're hesitant. They're, they're looking around. They're asking a bunch of questions. They're, they're not sure where to go. I saw this guy, and he looked comfortable in the position. And when you're comfortable, you're confident. You're confident. You can go out and make some plays. So I think that's a spot for him, Paul. I, I expect him to contribute at what level we shall see. But if he can exe- exceed expectations, this defense can take a step in the right direction. Here's, here's one of the worries about that.
0: Strong side linebacker is the least valuable of Seattle's three linebacker positions like that's typically been it doesn't it's it's the guy he doesn't get as much of the tackles the weak side linebackers kind of the guy that gets that yeah. he's not the quarterback of the defense he also doesn't rush the passer that much that was what they drafted Daryl Taylor to do can can they change the role a little bit maybe to give him some more pass rush opportunities from that because you want to get some value from him he was a pass rusher I don't I don't I'm not necessarily pumped about thinking him just being uh, a, an end-line linebacker who
2: doesn't do much about rushing the passer. His job is going to be to set the edge, right? To force yeah. everything inside to everyone else so that Mike and that weak backer can make all the tackles. You can play games with them, right? You you can get him to the quarterback, but then you have to replace him with who? A strong safety or, or the other backer to kind of mix things up. Can they do it? Yes, they can. But I don't think that's the foundation of their defense. They're going to ask these other guys to do those things. And... He just has to be okay with it. It might not be the most glamorous position, but real football players know that if you don't set an edge in football and you allow guys to get outside, teams like the Niners who like to jet sweep, the Rams who like to jet sweep, the Cardinals who have the most elusive quarterback in the NFL, it's game over. So you got to pump them up. Like, look, man, Daryl, man, this is important. If you don't get this done, we don't go. So you got to feed that ego a little bit and let him know that you're not going to get the write-ups in the paper, but the guys who really know the game are going to understand how important you are. We did talk about him yesterday, and I I know you like Marquise Blair a lot. So what would you do with Blair? Blair, man, I, I, I hope that Blair is learning every position in the secondary. Because someone's going to get dinged up, knock on wood. Hopefully it's not going to be for long, but this is the NFL. Guys are going to take plays off. They might miss a couple of games. If he can go from nickel to corner to safety, he was already a safety. He's learning the nickel spot. If he can get familiar on the outside too, mm. I, I think he can see the field a bit more because there's no denying what this dude was doing. I know it was only two games last year, but I think he had a forced fumble already. He was coming down the hill and smacking dudes. I mean, his energy is contagious. He has – that jamal adams type energy he's not that type of player he's not going to get a bunch of sacks but the tempo and the energy he plays with is contagious and you need guys like that out there so i I think the more he can do the better you're going to hear me say that all the time about football players but with Marquise blair because there's so much competition in the secondary right now i think you got to be able to move him around and put him in any spot that is blue 42 Michael Bump is with us
0: on Wednesdays and Fridays and stays with us through the 8 o'clock hour. We are going to be giving away Mariner tickets. Stay tuned to 710 ESPN Seattle. We're giving away those tickets all day long. Listen for the cue to call. You could win two tickets to the July 24th Mariner's game at T-Mobile Park. That's this Saturday. It's Mariner Retro Jersey Night. Mariner's host Oakland. First 10,000 fans score powder blue jerseys. Have you seen these? Paul's wearing a, oh, a throwback, good. a retro sweater. From this the Seattle
1: Metropolitan. Correct, 1917 champs, baby. So your boy likes some throwback jerseys, but these jerseys that you're going to be able to get at the ballpark on Saturday, they are fire. Trust me, as someone who's a jersey kind of connoisseur.
0: <laughs> uh, don't miss out. Get your tickets today, Mariners. dot com. And again, we will be giving you a cue to call. The Seattle Mariners are a good team. That was kind of our lead today. It's, they're good. It shouldn't be a surprise that they won last night's game. They their their best pitcher over the past few years, Marco Gonzalez had a good start. He pitched five innings. He allowed just two runs on one one bad pitch, a ball that Connor Joe absolutely obliterated. They came back from that two run deficit. Dylan Moore hit the go ahead two run homer. They added on to that later in the game. They ended up holding on to win six to four. They're seven games above five hundred. They've got a game against Colorado today, and then they'll return home for what it might be the most important home stand of the season because of when it comes leading up to the trade deadline and who it comes against. They're playing the Angels and then the Astros, the two teams that they're chasing in the the American League West. Four games against the A's, three games against the Astros.
1: And Bump, as we welcome you in, I don't want to sound as Giannis Antetokounmpo would put it. I don't want to be the guy who's tinkling in the Cheerios, because that's how Giannis describes uh, the act of, you know, onesies. But I've not been quite on the good train when it comes to the Mariners. I think they're above average. I think what you got out of Marco Gonzalez last night was satisfactory. I suppose I am the Debbie Downer today, but that's something that Danny and I have been going back and forth on a little bit this morning. Where would you put the Mariners? If you had to describe them, I guess, with an adjective, good, above average, where you got them?
2: You know, they're like, um, what was that, Dogecoin? When it was rising, right? (laughs) It started at 10 cents. To the moon! I think it got up to like 60 cents, 70 cents right now. I mean, they're... They're ascending right now. They're moving in the right direction. They're going to take a couple dips. You can't expect them to bump up to $3 a stock. That's just not what, what they're going to do. This is not what they're going to do, or share, I should say. Um, I think they are believable at this point. I mean, how many games are we in? 90-something games in at this yeah. point? More than half of the season. You don't have to believe that they are going to be a playoff team or a real threat to win the world series but you got to believe that they're making progress man and they're making progress with a bunch of dudes getting banged up with marco gonzalez not being his best um you say it's kind of leading the charge right now you got a bunch of guys contributing they're doing enough to make you believe now you hit a good point july 30th is a a trade deadline and they play the a's and the astros and it's like now we're really going to find out what's going on because astros have been playing good ball Altuve made a heck of a play the other day man um it was ridiculous. But um we're gonna find out. It's all about patience. It's it's the cliche day by day, game by game, week by week. That's literally what you have to do. There are some teams who can look into the future and say, All right, when we get into the playoffs, this is what we're gonna do. With this team, it's like, okay, who's healthy and what's the vibe right now? Right the way.
0: Buy, hold, or sell. Text into seven ten seven ten. Mac and Jack's text line. What you think the Mariners should do. I think they've earned the right. I think their players have earned the right that the, the team needs to add. And that's that's a finger that I point squarely at the ownership. Uh, here is Ryan Divish from the Seattle Times who joined us yesterday. And he talked about not not even the pragmatic, hey, can it get you to a playoff spot? Not what it can do. What it says to the guys in the clubhouse based on this decision that, that the franchise will make. That the front office and ownership will make about whether to add. Here was what Divish said.
2: Got a reward your players for playing well and putting you in a position that you've overachieved like how do you tell jp crawford who is the emotional leader of this team and who takes everything so personally that you're not going to add that you don't believe in all the things that they've done to this point whether or not the numbers say that it's correct they've gotten here by playing well and doing these things how do you tell those guys in that clubhouse hey you're going to trade your best Outfielder, or B, you're not going to add and help them out. It's basically slapping him in the face, saying, "Hey, we don't really believe in you, but we'll believe in you next year." Either you believe in them all the time, or you don't.
1: To buy, yeah, uh, to buy basically because the team's playing well, because the players earn, they earn some reinforcements. That if you don't, if you don't, if
0: you don't add to them, what you're saying is, yes, you exceeded expectations, but you've got to do it all on your own. It's just. Making the playoffs, you got is is there is there a sense that you need to give them a cookie
1: or a reward?
0: <laughs> I, honestly, and and I don't think because I I totally buy that I I completely agree that if you're talking about building a culture like you've got to – if they go out and and over oh, exceed what what was expected and projected for them like they they should they've earned the right to be added to.
2: Man, as a coach, you gotta play you gotta play mind games. You gotta play mind games. You, if you don't want to go out there and get an extra piece, you got to tell them, look, these are the guys that we came in with. These are the guys we're going to win with. You guys are progressing. I believe in you. You have to give the Al Pacino speech or whatever you want to do. Like you have to it's motivate you. It's inches people. all around us. <laughs> it's, that's what you have to do. And some guys are going to buy it. Some guys aren't going to buy it. You're never going to get everyone in a clubhouse to believe in everything you're saying and be all on the same page. There's going to be some skepticism. That's just how life is. That's how sports is. But whatever you do, do it with conviction. If you're not going to add a piece, man, gas these dudes up. Make them feel good. Like, you guys are the pieces that we need. We don't need anybody else. We got some young guys in the in the minors coming up. You know, we're going to with what we have. Now, if you do, throw them a cookie. Then you let them know, hey, you guys deserve this. You guys have earned this. You know, it's... Man, coaching is—it's such a game. It's like you're—you're—you uh, have to trick your players into believing some stuff. You're not even tricking them. I don't want to, have to say like you're lying to them, but you got to convince them. Whatever you do, convince them, make them believe. A couple of pieces of information that have come out: uh, Elliot Friedman,
0: who is part of the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast, has reported that Carey Price was not selected by Seattle. So he is the Montreal Canadiens goalie. He was, in some cases, a surprise. We don't know if that means there's the possibility that side deals were reached, that the Kraken were given some sort of uh, compensation for not selecting, but he is not selected. And also Vladimir Tarasenko from the the St. Louis Blues. Those were the two sort of bigger money players, has not been selected by the Kraken. It looks like they're going to go with Vince Dunn from the Blues.
1: Also, what we have found, and this is from Frank Saravelli, who's a guy you should be following today. Jared McCann is a guy that the Seattle Kraken will be taking from the Maple Leafs. So that video we saw of a man catching a fish. Kerfoot. Kerfoot. It was all a lie. It was, now it is Kerfoot. I, I
0: I No, like no, that? that was terrible. Like
1: Stanny and Gallant, Michael <laughs> Bumpus is around with us. Paul's not
0: allowed to tell any more jokes for the next half hour. He's in the penalty <laughs> box. Yeah. That was that would that, that was that was that was terrible. Stephen A. Smith said for Aaron Rodgers, it's not about the money, it's not about football. And if Stephen A. Smith's right, well, that says a lot about Aaron Rodgers. We'll explain next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant.
1: Best hip-hop song of all time? Question mark? They reminisce, they reminisce. I mean, I even recognize it, so it has to be pretty good.
0: Yeah. That's tough.
1: That's tough. I've always
0: said Bombs Over Baghdad by Outkast. Yeah. Which sounds sounds like it was made tomorrow. It will always sound like it was taken from the future. But they reminisce over you,
2: Pete I'm, Roxy L. Smooth. I'm going to say Big Pimpin' because I feel like it brought everybody in. Everybody. like I mean, 60-year-old white dudes were singing Big Pimpin'. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> it is Danny Galant, Michael Bumpus in with us for this hour. Aaron Rodgers, when last we heard from him, he was what he was disappointed that the news got out that he was mad at Green Bay. And there's been sort of this off-season long cold war between he and the franchise and whether he's going to show up and how mad he is and all of these things. The latest wrinkle was Adam Schefter's report that back in March, April, there were negotiations going on in which the Packers offered him essentially a make-good contract of, we'll extend your contract, we'll add two years to it, we'll make you the highest-paid guy in the league. And whether that is, hey, we're sorry for drafting Jordan Love or recognition of your MVP season, and the fact that that contract didn't get done it tells you about sort of the depth of dysfunction that's there. Here's Stephen A. Smith saying that the football reporters are reading that report
2: entirely wrong. I saw this breaking news from the great Adam Schefter himself, and I was utterly disgusted. And it was not just at the Green Bay Packers, Molly and Max. It's at all of these NFL aficionados, people that we have working here at this network, people that we have that we see working on the NFL and beyond at other networks or what have you. To watch and listen to people who are experts on the National Football League, who know football back and forth, who I'm proud to call colleagues, who know who have forgotten more football than I will ever know, but are prideful, prideful men. Who would speak eloquently and ad nauseum about the need, the zest, the craving for respect, to act like you can't comprehend what the hell Aaron Rodgers has been saying all of these months, this entire offseason, is beyond me.
0: Come on. He's basically saying that it's not about money and it's not about football, that we're un- misunderstanding that some sort of code has been crossed in Aaron Rodgers' mind where it's now a personal vendetta. If that's true, and it might be, may- maybe maybe Stephen A. Smith, if that's true, Rodgers has become as ridiculous... As, as as the corn-pone dude he replaced in Brett Favre. Like, remember when Brett Favre became, each year, I don't know if I'm going to play, and I want him to beg me, and then he wasn't going to play, but then he came back and said he was going to play, and they're like, too late. Train's already left the station in that whole circus. If, if, that's, if that's the point we're at with Aaron Rodgers, like, he has jumped the shark. Like, he's become ridiculous.
1: I thought this was going to be, when Stephen A. Smith went on this rant, a criticism of the football industrial complex because people are acting like a story that's legitimately two months old that Adam Schefter reported was some sort of new news, when in reality it likely was the Green Bay Packers saying, hey, I mean, we tried. The idea that it is about Aaron Rodgers' ego in this situation, because I think that's what Stephen A. Smith is implying, isn't that, isn't that what's happening? Well that's what he's saying. Do you think that's
0: that's what it is? Cuz if I that's do. the case, if that's the case, Aaron Rodgers is, Aaron Rodgers was not wronged in this process. At no point has Aaron Rodgers been wronged. It drafting another quarterback, he might not like it, but they didn't bench him. Nope. They they didn't threaten to bench him. Nope. He won an MVP, and if now they're going to offer to make him and if he's just so mad that they drafted another quarterback, he's a giant baby.
2: He was wronged. I'm going to tell you why he was wronged. All right, Because these guys moved up to draft a quarterback and didn't get him even more weapons. I know people are going to say, you have Adams, you got your running back Aaron, you got all these other pieces, but Aaron Rodgers, there's nothing in his game that said, man, this guy's towards the end of his career, we better start low enough for a quarter. I think he feels like they should have been like, we got to start low enough for a Super Bowl run because he probably only has four or five years left. Instead, they're like... The, the perception of it is we're going to draft this young guy because you're on your last leg. And then I feel like the communication wasn't there. I know people are going to be mad because QBs are divas. Whatever, they are. They're the face of the NFL. They're the face of, of every team. So include him in the operation. Let him know what's going on. So I think he was wrong. He might be a baby, but the baby was wrong.
1: Well, think about it from this perspective, Bump. This is at least what the Packers were saying after the fact. And it is definitely hindsight being twenty twenty, so take it with a grain of salt. But supposedly, both Brandon Ayuk and Justin Jefferson were on their board. And I think most draft boards, you're going to have certain wide receivers that you like, and you might have others where you're like, yeah, no, because you don't want to end up with a Nikhil Harry or something like that. And supposedly, the Packers wanted to trade up for Justin Jefferson. Minnesota got him. They wanted to trade potentially up for Brandon Ayuk, so they ended up taking Jordan Love. So look i can I can understand how it how it looks really bad where you 're trading up for Jordan Love as opposed to one of those guys, but if those guys are off the board, what are you supposed to do? you 're supposed to swing at some guy that you might not actually think is a good wide receiver because that 's a situation that you sometimes find yourself in the draft it's it's not as i think easy a process as maybe some might make it out to be it 's not to say that it, i'm making total excuses for Brian Gutekunst here. I mean he took Jordan Love and right now Jordan Love looks like a bad pick, not only because of what feathers he might have ruffled but also because. It doesn't sound like he's very good based off of the early returns that we're getting from him. But I don't think that they went into this draft with the idea that they wanted a quarterback. I feel like they ended up just going there because of the way that the draft unfolded. And while Rodgers can be upset and bitter about that, that's how the draft works every single year. So get over it.
2: I get that logic. It makes complete sense, right? Things happen. The draft rarely, outside what, the first like seven picks maybe, It never really happens the way that teams expect it to happen, and you got to have your backup plan. So we're going with that logic, man. they, They didn't have enough backup plans. There are a lot of football players out there. There are a lot of ways that you can appease the centerpiece of your operation. And I think that maybe if they were to have a conversation with Rodgers, be like, look, this is where we're going to go. You know, our guys aren't really there anymore. We got to prepare for the future. You're getting old. Then maybe he'll feel a different way about it. But I don't think they had any communication. He was probably just at the house chilling, having a beer or what, drinking his whiskey like he does on the podcast and stuff. And said, look, Jordan Love, man, I'm still, I still got some years left. So it makes complete sense what you said, Paul. But I think where it was messed up is the communication wasn't there. If he's so mad over being
0: wronged, why was he listening to their offers to make him the highest paid quarterback? Ego. Did they just not make enough of an apology to him? Like, did he want them to suffer more? That's the part that I can get. I, I can understand that. That way he's like, "I, you should have used that. Instead of using that for someone to help me, you used it for someone <clears throat> to replace me. It's a bad use of resources. But didn't they come out and say, like, our bad? We're going to make you the highest paid player. Look, we screwed up. You played great. We're going to give you the money. Like we are going to make you that. And then now he's like, that's not enough. Like, there's a little <laughs> bit where like, come on. Like what do you what's what's the goal here? And isn't that as self-important and ridiculous as Brett Favre was being by the end? I think most people recognized and thought Favre was being Is has Aaron Rodgers become the guy he replaced in Brett Favre?
2: Yeah, I think eventually most quarterbacks do. Uh, eventually. And Offering him to be be paid the highest paid quarterback in the league that's a great gesture. It's it's beautiful, but it's it's not about money for Aaron Rodgers. He's good money. His his kids kids are good when it comes to money. It's more about the principle. I think it comes down to just how that situation made him feel. It's 2021. Men have feelings too. Okay, we're sensitive as well. Express yourself. It's <laughs> but, okay, Rodgers. But
1: but you have it's to It's okay to not be okay, Aaron. <laughs> you still have to have some context of, of things that your, your own life has been through. You were drafted when Brett Favre was under center for Green Bay. And it's like this idea that, oh, but it happened to me. I mean, you could make the case that Brett Favre is a better all-time quarterback than Aaron Rodgers if you so chose. So... He found himself in that situation, too. And Brett Favre, I guess he wasn't thrilled about it. But he's acting, I think, the way that he is carrying himself, at least publicly. And maybe he's not actually carrying himself publicly, period. But whatever the case, the way that it's coming off is like a guy who just completely feels that he is unique among quarterbacks that have experienced this situation. And that's just not the reality. This happens this happened to Steve Young with Joe Montana. You know, this happens to everybody. It's Danny Longman. Michael, Michael Bump is
0: in with us for just one more segment. You've got a little bit something more to say about, about that question at quarterback. And you get to kill one, the Olympics or the NCAA, which one you putting down. That's next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN
1: Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We're sending you to Saturday's Mariners game, 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776. One minute on the radio, which no longer features the voice of Mike Greenberg talking over our voices, or 30 seconds if you're on the stream. Caller number two, you're going to win two tickets to the Mariners retro jersey night, which is, again, coming up on Saturday. We're giving away a pair of Mariners tickets each hour today, so make sure that you stay tuned to 710 ESPN Seattle for your next chance to win. Bump, before we got to the end of our last segment talking about Aaron Rodgers, I had brought up that Rodgers should probably look at him being drafted when Brett Favre was already the starting quarterback and maybe take things a little bit less personal, given that this has happened a lot.
2: When a kid gets older. right? As a, as a kid, you're like, why is my mom so angry with this and that? It's not that big of a deal. Then as you get older, you're like, oh, I see why she was angry. It, it's a legit concern. I think that's what happened with Rogers. With when he gets drafted, he's like, man, I'm happy to be here. Brett, why are you tripping? You go ahead and do your thing. I'll follow you. But when you get older, you're like, man, now I know where Brett feels. He's looking over his shoulder like, who's this young cat that they hired to take my job? So I I feel for him. He is being a baby, I get it, but I understand where he's coming from.
1: We saw the Milwaukee Bucks win the NBA title last night, and Danny O'Neill, Michael Bumpus, me, it's Danny and Gallant. You texted me last night, Bump, quote, boy, do I have some things to say about tonight's game. <laughs> I think we all do, right? I mean, that was really cool to see Giannis Antetokounmpo finally win a championship and to do it the old-fashioned way where you're seeing a guy stick with one team.
2: No super team. um, Was what missed two free throws last night. That was the best part. um, Got help from the referees, but he still had to make his free throws. Dropped 50 points. Now, they haven't had a championship there in 50 years. He just happens to drop 50 points. Um, And just the dominance. I haven't seen a guy be that dominant in the paint since Shaq, honestly. like Maybe Dwight Howard in his heyday when he was young. He was doing his thing. But that was just a dominant performance. And then Middleton. Like, are we seeing a star in the making of Middleton? I know he's he's been good for the last, what, three years? He's been stepping his game up. But these guys have been together for eight years. It's just a good story in Milwaukee. Like, Milwaukee, um, a city that no one really thinks about. Uh, the Brewers have, have had their time to shine a bit. They haven't won a World Series. Or at least, I don't think they've won a World Series. Um, it's just nice to see the underdog win. And it's nice to see a superstar stay in a small market and get it done. Now, he has some help. Guys got hurt on other teams, but you can't hold that against him. He still had to go out and play. And he hyper extended his knee where I thought his season was over. And he comes out and he balls out. It's just a good story. I was talking texting Paul. We were both kind of getting emotional. Like, man, this is so dope for Giannis. It's just he seems like a good kid too. I think that's the best part about it.
0: The really cool part about the title, Chris Middleton was a player that people said he's not good enough to be the number two on a championship team. Giannis, despite being an MVP, when Winning two MVP awards, there is a feeling that he's not he's not a polished enough or consistent enough scorer to to be able to do it when it matters most. Can he can he be the best player on a team that wins a title? Because that's hard. That's hard. You're, you're you're going to have to be ask Devin Booker how hard that is right now because that guy was unbelievable for the bulk of the playoffs and at the end, at the end, had a hard time getting the buckets his team needed. It's a cool story for people that still look for and pride. It wasn't about a free agent addition. It wasn't about, it was about a group staying together and trusting and believing in each other. And Giannis is a truly extraordinary player. You mentioned that he's as dominant uh, a post player as Shaq. Shaq was that way because of how big and coordinated he was. There was nobody that size that was as coordinated and able to move like Shaq. Giannis is, he's got the, He's as mobile and as, and as aggressive off the dribble as a, as a three, as a small forward, yet he's seven feet tall, and that dude plays so hard. He runs himself to baskets because of how hard he plays, and you saw that in this, in this series. His, his best play is the block of an alley-oop to DeAndre Ayton, which was anticipation combined with his extraordinary length, and then running down for that alley-oop dunk after the steal by J. Holiday after he, he ripped the ball away from Booker. It was absolutely phenomenal.
2: Giannis is just good enough in the perimeter for you to respect him. He's not going to be a 40% three-point shooter. He's not going to have a a killer mid-range. Maybe he might develop that, but he's just good enough to make you respect it, and he's fast enough to get to the hoop. I'm excited to see how his game evolves. Right, He's gained 50-something pounds since he's been in the league. You know, this is the first year he's shooting three-pointers. He showed that, look, clutch time, I can be good at the free-throw line. So you see this performance, you're like, Oh is this guy? 26 years old? Like, he's got at least six years of his prime left in him, and it's fun to see a big man dominate a game. Because it's all small ball now. Everyone's Bad. shooting threes. Everyone wants to cross over and dribble 300 times before you shoot. It's nice to see old-school basketball being played. He is unique.
1: He is, I think, just so different from the rest of players these days, Bump, as you laid out. And that's what I like the most about him. And I remember when I was in Houston, this idea that, like, oh, well, Giannis is nowhere near Harden's level, all this stuff. And I, I don't know. There's something about this that is so special and sweet to me, too, that on that side of things, too, this is confirmation of who's the better guy. All right, guys, I got a question for you, and this has to do with a couple of ridiculous stories that we saw coming out of both of these leagues over the last couple of days. First off, the Olympics have been on some interesting BS over – basically what people wear so there's a para-athlete olivia breen who was told that she needs to wear more appropriate shorts because they were too short and revealing but the norwegian volleyball team meanwhile who wants to play in shorts instead of bikini bottoms they found too revealing, were threatened with a fine if they did not wear anything that covered uh, if they wore anything that covered more than 10 centimeters of their butts so they were fined 1500 dollars when they went in protest against it poland also sent home six swimmers because they selected too many accidentally so that's that's the Olympics side of thing. Meanwhile, we found out the NCAA spent sixty-eight million dollars on legal counsel from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty, only to get shut out by the Supreme Court nine nothing, and that Mark Everett made nearly three billion dollars. So, a tough question for you: you got to take one out. Who you take it out? The Olympics or the NCAA?
2: Not to mention the Olympics ban certain caps for swimmers because they say it's too big. Um, yeah, um, I'm I'm a black dude. If y'all don't know, our hair is different. We need bigger caps, and that's ridiculous. And then Shakari, I've been saying her name wrong. Shakari, I think it's Shakari Richardson. Right. Shakari Richardson. I mean, she smoked a little bit. I get that's against the rules, but there there are other things worse than that. So no doubt. then you look at the NCAA. I would say the NCAA, but I think that will hurt kids' futures. Like The NFL, you cannot play in the NFL unless you go to college and play football. That's the only like farm league that they have. NBA, you can go overseas. You can go to the G League. Baseball, you don't have to play there. Uh, soccer, I believe, you, you can play for clubs and get drafted. I'm just focusing on football. So because of football, because I'm a football guy, I'm like, man, Get rid of the Olympics for at least one, just once. Because it's a war, It's nice to see the world come together and compete. You want to see that stuff. But, um, yeah, man, slap them on the wrist. Tokyo, Japan, y'all tripping right now. I, the Olympics
0: wouldn't happen if you did not have the Olympic Committee. I think college football and college sports could still be played if you just eliminated the NCAA. Mm, yeah, it feels definitely. like it's a division. It's like the rat squad, of a, of a police department, like just get rid of the rat squad. Like, let's just, just, just get rid of those dudes and we'll still play all the sports. We just, we'll lose the suits, just lose yeah. the suits. Like, I feel like it's like a, an unnecessary appendage that could be cut off. They're like, they're, they're like, what was it? Can you lose your spleen? Can yes. you just get rid of your yeah. spleen? No, yeah. it's your appendix. The appendix is, is not, not very much. And if it gets infected and poisons you that, the NCAA is the appendix of America and of college sports. And if you just get rid of it, everything would function better.
1: I'll give him credit. At the very least, NIL is a thing now. And apparently Bryce Young, Alabama quarterback, he's Ooh. made per Nick Saban almost seven figures. If you're a guy who is currently in the NFL and you could have heard that, God, you must be so ticked off that the NCAA is finally changed he gets stripes. Michael Puppets, it's always a pleasure to have you on with us as you join us every single Wednesday, the 8 o'clock hour, and we'll talk to you again on Friday.
2: Adios, guys. Have a good one.
1: He is Michael Bumpus. I'm Paul Gallant. Danny O'Neill. Danny and Gallant, are the Mariners good? That's simple a question. We'll try to answer it next.